Welcome to the Pollen Podcast for Managers. I'm Anne Beddy, SVP People and Culture at Pollen, a technology company on a mission to build, curate and deliver the best experiences all over the world. We've created this podcast series to equip Pollen managers and managers outside of Pollen with the tools they need to create high-performing teams. In this episode, we're focusing on team norms. So at Pollen, we have a culture of freedom and ownership, which is about working in whatever way enables you and your team to deliver the best results. Teams decide outcomes based on company goals and then have freedom over how to deliver them so they can have maximum impact. Nobody has set hours. They can choose the amount of vacation they need, how and when to take it, whether or not they are in the office and what meetings to attend. But for this to work effectively, teams have to be able to work together brilliantly. And one way that we enable this at Pollen is through setting team norms. Joining me to talk about how we do this is executive coach Ali Levin. We've worked with Ali for years and she has helped us establish team norms across Pollen. So, Ali, to start, what actually are team norms? Team norms are basically ground rules. They're how members of a team agree to interact with each other, how they'll communicate, and really how they're going to conduct themselves. And they help team members to agree on how they want to get along before bad situations happen. And what kind of things do team norms address? Do you know, really, it can be any aspect of the team's functioning. It can be around how they feel safe together or what they can expect from each other. Sometimes the team norms address how they'll be in meetings together. And sometimes they address how the team will behave with each other. So it can be around their rhythm or it can be around how they communicate, how they make decisions really how they are accountable to each other. And this can have a huge impact on like the team sense of cohesiveness and belonging. And why does having team norms really matter? Do you know, really, it's about psychological safety. In order for people on a team to feel safe with each other, they need to know that the team is safe to show up as their authentic self, to try things, to take risks, to propose things without fear that anyone in the team will punish them or embarrass them or anything like that. And so this idea of having a team norm means I know that if I share a point of view with the team or challenge another member about something that they're bringing, that these norms help us all know how to behave together so that we can do that in a constructive and safe way. Can you talk our managers who are listening through how to actually set team norms with their teams? Yeah. So as you know, this is something that I've done quite a lot with Pollen. And this is the way that we typically do it. So if you're in person, you can do this on a whiteboard, but a lot of our team norm setting sessions we run virtually. So I essentially say to the people on the call, and everybody needs to participate. I just want to start with that, everyone who's in the team. And I say to the people, Take post-it notes, red for bad and green for good, and think about the best and worst team experiences that you've had. And you can think about any team you've ever been on, whether it's a work team or a sports team or something you've done in another setting. And all of those good team experiences that you've had 
put them on green post-it notes. So this is an example of a phenomenal team that I was on and why it was phenomenal. So I might put on one green post-it note, we really listen to each other. Or I might put on a green post-it note, uh, we're curious, not judgmental, something like that. And then I also ask them to think about the bad teams that they've been on and what happened there and to put those on red sticky notes. Again, only one per sticky note. So they might write something like people led with their egos or people um, cared more about getting their own point heard than collaborative decision making or something like that. So everybody's spending some time by themselves just populating sticky notes. And then I have them put all of those notes onto a board, a virtual board or a whiteboard if we're all in the same room. And then I call on each member of the group to talk about their sticky notes. What did they put down and tell a story about why that matters to them? And we go through each person on the team speaking. Now, you'll notice or we've noticed that a lot of times the same things come up over and over again in terms of best and worst team experiences. So we don't have to have every person talk through all of their sticky notes. So they might say everything that that person just said I agreed with, and they might move their sticky notes closer. So we're starting to cluster the notes into themes. From there we start to look at what are the biggest themes that are emerging. So the biggest kind of behaviors that we do or don't want. And what you'll often see are the red and the green are coming together, like the good and the bad side of the same behavior. The good is we listen, the bad is we don't listen, and you see those coming together. So from there, we then want to start to come up with a list and what I typically do if it's virtual is I create a Google document and I share my screen and I start typing the sentences, you know, the norms that capture what all those sticky notes together meant. You don't want to have a lot of norms, you know, I tend to say about 15 maximum because it's too much to remember if you have more than that. Um, and in fact, I've worked with teams that come up with like a maximum of five because they say if we just live by these five norms, lots of things will be different for us. So now you've created your list and then you just want to make sure that those things that you wrote down make sense, that they're behaviors that are actually actionable and relevant and are clear and so now we've got this long list of behaviors that feel actionable and clear. And then I look at that and say, with all of these that we've now listed, which are the ones that we feel like we can support and really follow? And think about things that have already come up for you or think about specific challenges that you as a team might face. And I'll give you an example that might affect people at Pollen. People at Pollen travel a lot for events. And so it may be that a big challenge a team faces is around the ability to attend meetings. And so you want to say, we've agreed about this behavior, 
can we really adhere to this behavior? Or maybe we haven't said anything about attendance and we know that's an issue given how much people travel. How specifically do we want to address that challenge? So we not only want to bring together all of the red and the green stickies from our prior experiences, but we also want to address the realities of our own team and how things happen for us at pollen. There was one thing I guess that must come up a lot when you do team norms at pollen, which is about ways of working in terms of like, because we have a culture of freedom and ownership where people can choose their hours, choose their holidays. Like when are you actually going to be available? How are we going to take holiday as a team to make sure that people are available to do the work that's needed done, stuff like that, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so interesting that you say that because when we have a culture of freedom and ownership, part of that is that we don't actually tell people what to do. But that's very different from making commitments to each other and honoring those commitments. And going back to where we started around trust, the way that we build and keep trust is that we honor our commitments to each other. So if I say to you, we're going to have a meeting every Monday at noon, and I'm going to show up for that meeting, If I don't show up, it tells you that I don't value you. I don't value your time. My other commitments are more important than the commitments I made to you. So that's not about us contradicting our pillar of freedom and ownership. It's about saying, yes, we have freedom and ownership. And one of the things we want to own in this moment are making clear commitments to each other. So I actually think attendance at certain meetings might be a very important team norm at a company that has a driver of freedom and ownership like Pollen. Yeah. You did this exercise actually with the people team. I think it was last year. And I think was was really powerful for us was that we therefore were creating or co-creating a way of working that was based on the real experiences of people in the team. So it felt like really tailor-made. I think where it fell down, and this was my failing, was I don't think we revisited it enough. Once you have those really strong team norms, how do you integrate it into your team going forward to make sure that people get front of mind? That's such a good question. Because if you just do this as a one-off exercise and you don't come back to it, it, it's irrelevant. You might as well not do it at all. I talk about team norms as being a living document. And why I try to keep the number of team norms to 12 or less even, is that I can't remember more than that. (laughs) And also, we want to keep revisiting them and keep reinforcing them. And so teams can regularly check in, you know, are we living our team norms? Are we following our team norms? When new team members join and pollen is growing so fast, how do we onboard them with our team norms. Can we revisit these team norms each time new people join and say, this is how we're doing? Can we have check-in sessions with our team? Are we following our team norms? How are people feeling? And also, um, although this isn't what you asked, but I think it's an important point, we need to use our team norms when we feel something's going wrong in the team. So we use at Pollen, we teach the nonviolent communication model. I talk about that a lot. When you feel like um, something's off in the team, you can say, here's what just happened and here's how I feel in a non-accusatory way. 
you know, I feel concerned or I feel angry. Um, that's not an accusation. That's just how I feel. And then you say, I need to be on a team where insert team norm here, you know? So if we've created a team norm that says something like, give your colleague the benefit of the doubt. You know, we assume generous things about each other. Let's say we made a team norm about that. Then I might say to you, you know, here's how I'm feeling. And we made a team norm to assume positive intention about each other. And here's what just happened. And here's how I feel. So every time we can talk about our conflict and teams are in conflict a lot. In fact, healthy teams do conflict well. When we can talk about our conflict by going back to our team norms and saying, remember when everything was great and we set these team norms? <laughs> we set them to address those moments when things aren't so great. So when we were all feeling good and loving each other, we set that team norm, assume generous and positive intentions about each other. Here we are not feeling great. I need to go back to that. So how can we address this moment of conflict we're in while still making generous assumptions about each other, still assuming that you and I are both here for the positive reason of helping our business and our team grow? And that's really how you keep team norms alive um, and working and how you can continue to revisit them. And maybe you can say, actually, I do remember that team norm, but now I'm realizing that's not very clear. I mean, I think that positive intention is, but sometimes we might have written team norms in the moment that felt clear at the time. But once we're in conflict, we realize that team norm didn't help us address it. So funny, I was coaching somebody yesterday on that very topic. They had a conflict with a team member. And I said, let's go back and look at the team norms together. And they did. And they said, I don't know if there's a team norm here that addresses this. Maybe it's this one. And we pulled one out. And then I said, great, well, maybe you can use that one, but also talk to the team about, could we refine that a little bit to make it clear? Because we want our norms to be useful to us. So they're sort of living and breathing, constantly iterative document. You set the, the team norms for the people team, but you've done it across pollen. So can you give me an example of setting team norms and how it impacted a different team at pollen? Well, my favorite example is the leadership team. And this is years ago. So I must say there were different people on the leadership team then because the team has changed over years. But I came in and I watched the team for a couple of meetings, just observing. And then I think it was about the third meeting. And I just said, Do you know, I am watching the same three people engage in a robust debate. I would say the pollen leadership team has always been very good at robust debate, <laughs> thinking out loud and supporting each other in their thinking and not being afraid of conflict. Uh, but I watched other members say nothing. And I remember stopping them then. And I said, how about a team norm that is, um, you know, we called it round the room. And how about if we pose this thing we're talking about in the form of a question? what would the question be? So we rewrote the topic they were discussing as a question. And then they started going around the room. I said, I'm going to give you 20 minutes or something for the, to answer this question, set a timer. And they just kept going around the room and each person would speak the next person, then the next person, a little bit like, um, you know, year one, when you'd pass the talking stick, 
And it really changed the dynamic. And I would say many years on, the leadership team still practices that where they make sure that everybody is being heard. And that actually really minimizes interruptions. It minimizes people kind of going off piste on whatever they're talking about. I don't even know if it's still written down. It's now become just a way of working and a way of running a meeting that you just make sure every voice gets heard each time. I love that. We talked about team norms, about their purpose partly being about resolving conflict, but are they about more than that? Absolutely. If you have team norms that help people, for example, um, be more creative, be more innovative, help each other do their best thinking, then that's obviously not something you're going to come back to when you're in conflict, but it's going to be something that you can rely on if you feel that the team's falling flat. So sometimes teams get into a place where they're just executing, you know, but they're not iterating, they're not inventing, they're not doing the kind of more exciting collaborative work. And maybe someone on the team can say, you know, I guess I'm feeling like it's getting a bit boring or something, you know, that we're just doing, we're just doing our day job. And are we being as creative as we can be? Are we thinking outside of the box? And didn't we, didn't we agree about a team norm that said, let's do that and let's try to get to that. So you also want the norms to be inspiring and you want it to feel good right? Like when you do team norm setting sessions, one thing I often say to the team is um, when I look at them, I'm always like, wow, I have this moment where I'm like, wow, can I join this team? (laughs) You know, because this sounds like if you really live by this, this sounds like a place where um, to bring this to another pollen driver, mastery, This sounds like a place where I'm going to be able to come to this group and show up talking about the things I love to do, the things I'm good at, the things that give me energy, the places where I want to grow. And if we do all of this together as a team, I'm going to grow in who I am and how I contribute. And so your team norms should also inspire and remind us to bring our best thinking and our best self and our most engaged and inspired self into the team. I've had also in the past, as well as using them for that, about using them quite powerfully when they've been quite tactical as well. So when it's been like, this is how we work really effectively together. So I used to have one with a team where I was like, you know, we actually, if we're brainstorming or we're being creative, it's actually better for us to be in person. So if someone puts, like, I know it's really sort of technical, but if someone puts brainstorm on a calendar invite, everyone needs to be there in person. Otherwise, we assume everyone will be can be anywhere. That, that has been effective in the past as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the other thing I want to add to, to the first question you asked, which is they're about more than just how to resolve conflict, is that remember where we started at the very beginning of this conversation, which is that team norms create safety and they help us build trust. So hopefully things don't go wrong, because I know that this team is safe for me to show up and bring my ideas without fear of anything going wrong. And that will be true if we have team norms that um, include things like listen to each other. It's okay to make mistakes. 
practice and experience humility or something like that, because now I know it's okay for me to show up. Even if I'm not sure I'm right, I can still throw it out there and that will be okay. And also all the research shows, right, that if you're on a team where you you feel psychologically safe and you trust each other, that is the sort of foundation of a high-performing team. Absolutely. We actually have some um, other managers have asked questions about best practices that we can go through now. So first we have Kaz, who is our VP, Pollen Presents. How do we think about updating norms as we grow? Should these be something that are fixed or something that we revisit regularly to update? That's a great question, Kaz. And I think that Anne and I started to talk about that in the last bit of our conversation. I would absolutely revisit norms regularly. You know, some of the teams I've worked with have started with just five team norms. And once they've really committed those to practice so that it just becomes like the way our team works, then they start to add team norms to that. So you might want to start with a smaller number of team norms and then maybe once a quarter, look at them and say, are we ready to add one or two more to these? Or are there any that we don't need anymore? You want to make sure that to the extent that you find your team in conflict, but struggling to resolve that conflict, that if you can't find somewhere in the norm a way to help you resolve that conflict, that's a great time to add the norm. So if you think back to where Anne and I started in this conversation, we are creating norms out of old experiences of best and worst teams. And now we're starting to say, we've got that list what are the specific challenges we're facing? Maybe they're around response times for things. Maybe they're specific to our freedom and ownership culture and how to deal with that. Maybe they're around our driver of belonging. And we haven't created a norm yet that helps everybody to feel included in, in a way that is so critical to pollen. And we want to add one of those and we want to start to practice it to even up our game in how we behave. So um, it's absolutely something to revisit and check in on how you're doing against regularly. So next we have Kathy, our VP of Customer Experience. How do you manage it when you have two teams working closely together, but their team norms conflict? Oh, Kathy, that's such a wonderful question because (laughs) you haven't made any agreements with each other. So it's very hard to go back to your team norms. Um, One of the things that I would recommend in that case is perhaps uh, early on in the collaboration to say, we're now going to do some collaborative work across teams, should we come up with maybe three or four ways of working together? So you've got a little kind of mini cross-functional team norm agreement or something like that, because I can't say to somebody on another team, hey, you're not following team norms over here that you didn't agree to in the first place. So I think really early on when you're doing cross-functional team collaboration, it's worth before you just jump in to the work at hand, which I know we're all so keen to do because we have so much to do, but a little upfront context setting can go a long way. So we understand that you come from a team that works one way and I come from a team that works one way. Here we are together. Why are we coming together? 
What does success look like for us in this cross-functional collaboration? And are there three or four things we need to agree to right now to set us up for success? Great. And so the last question is from Harriet, our head of executive assistance. I've moved into a new role where I'm starting to build out a large team of EAs who work with multiple leaders in the company, such as the C-suite and VP layer. I really want the EAs to feel like we're all a team as we're all working towards the same goals, really ensuring that the executives are working effectively across the company, that high priority meetings are going in within a timely manner, that EAs are able to support each other when taking annual leave, as well as really making sure that they aren't feeling isolated. And I really want them to feel supported within the team. How do I set team norms as an EA team when the EAs are also working directly with other leaders? Harriet, that's such a thoughtful question. And what I love about the way that you asked that question was that you explained why the EAs in this context are a team at all. And that will be critical for team norm setting because In other teams, what we're finding is that the team norms that they're setting are about how they make decisions, how they produce things together, how they carry out certain tasks together. And in this team, you're not necessarily doing that, but what you're trying to do are all the other things that you said create best practices across the company so that perhaps one could cover for another in a certain case, Um, deal with the pressures and the isolation of being an EA to executives like those we have at Pollen. Um, You've done all of that really well in the why we are a team at all. And as I'm doing team norm setting sessions, given that explanation for why we are a team at all, I would make sure that the norms you set are responsive to those challenges. So it will be less important to, for example, have a team norm around how decisions are made in your group and more important to have a team norm around how we'll respond to each other's need for help for example, because you're feeling alone, you're supporting people who are extraordinarily demanding in a job that's extraordinarily demanding. And when you're feeling alone or under an enormous amount of stress and you want to go back to your EA team for support, you want to know they're there for you. And you'd want a team norm that addressed that specifically. So I think that I would start that team norm setting session with, if we are remarkably successful in ensuring our executives work effectively, what would we have done together to make that so? If we are remarkably successful in managing these high priority meetings that get on everybody's schedule, what would that mean we have to do together to be successful? In other words, I would ask questions specifically around why you are a team at all and what do we need to do to be successful at that? And I just have one question that I'm interested in. Is there any such thing as a bad team norm that as managers, if that gets put there, we should say, no, that's not going to be helpful or are all equally good? 
such a funny question. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can think of lots of bad team norms. (laughs) I would be surprised if a team collectively did that. And that's why it's so important that team norms get established by the team itself. In other words, I think if a command and control leader And by the way, I don't really think we have many of those at Pollen because that's so against our culture. But I think if a command and control leader came in and said, right, here's a team norm, you will do as I say, (laughs) that would be a terrible team norm. But I don't think the team would agree to that in the first place. So I think as long as team norms are not sort of handed down from on high, but they're rather generated collectively by the group, they're unlikely to be bad. And then as a manager, you're doing it with the group as well, right? You're all in it together as opposed to just running the session and not taking part. Absolutely. If you're going to run this as a manager, think of yourself in that moment as a facilitator rather than the, than the ultimate decision maker. Got it. Thank you very much. We're done. Thank you so much for being part of the podcast and taking us through Team Norms. It's always such a pleasure to talk to you, Anne. And thank you for listening. Listen out for more Pollen Podcasts for Managers. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and do like and share and let us know if there's a topic you'd like us to cover.